0: Welcome back to the Rotation Podcast Episode 6. I'm Mason Lieb, alongside Jake Nissi. Jake, we're going to make history right now. Are we? We're going to break news for the first time on the Rotation Podcast.
1: I don't even know where this is going, but okay, have at it.
0: hours ago, so in this day and age, maybe that's not breaking news, but Frank Ocean will not be performing Weekend 2 Coachella.
1: This is a Rotation exclusive. Yeah. No, it's not, but absolutely no exclusivity here. Uh, no Frank Ocean. What do you think? Well, I will admit that I didn't know that part before you told me when you came here. Um, I obviously was aware of the debacle that was last weekend. Um, that part I found to be pretty lame, to be honest. You
0: made a really good point about his fandom. Do you want to repeat it? What did I say? Just about the way that Frank, who has such a rabid... Right, right. He's
1: got, you know, he... Obviously, part of the Frank Ocean allure is the, it's the supply and demand, and the supply is low, and the demand is very high, um, and he's just, you know, fans are just begging for a little morsel of a Frank Ocean song, gonna a snippet, a performance, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sympathetic to to some of the other issues that have been mentioned, you know his brother passing, obviously that that obviously has had an issue, has had an impact on his output. I'm guessing, um, but in terms of people like flying across the country um, to see him lip syncing, yeah, um, you know, I I would be I would be annoyed, yeah, I'd be annoyed. Well, so I'm gonna take it you haven't been listening to Frank Ocean, but what have you been listening to? I mean, I, I would not listen to him because of that. <laughs> okay, uh, what have I been listening to? Um... Well, I've been in my action Bronson bag a little bit recently. Mm-hmm. After the show I saw last week with my good friend Eric Bass, shout out him. I'm not sure if we will hear this, but uh, yeah, uh, listening to him, just such an interesting artist. He was up there playing, fucking dolphin noises off a of beat pad. Hysterical guy. What about you? Well, I kind of shot myself in the foot with the intro to that question because I have been listening to Frank Ocean. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. He's Way still an amazing here, artist. White Ferrari. I just don't know if I would buy tickets at this point. I don't know what I would expect. Okay. But um, I still Well, I still not buy. only that, I've been missing home Los Angeles.
0: Uh, and so I've been listening to a little Baby Keem, okay. Cousin of Kendrick. Uh, dropped a great album
1: two years ago. Speaking of low supply. You kind of said Cousin of Kendrick. Like that was the name of his album. No. Just, could, could be the next. Just his genealogical circumstances. Yeah, I know that. Um,
0: well, Jake, do you want to talk about our upcoming guest?
1: Yeah, we've got a really amazing guest today. Uh, Nick Mayhew, three time gold medalist in the Paralympics and also 2019 U S soccer player of the year with a disability. Um, Nick really has an amazing story. Um, he has cerebral palsy, um, you know, played D one soccer and then, also played for the U.S. Paralympic soccer team and then basically learned track from scratch. Uh, really didn't have any idea what he was doing in that sport. You know, he would say that himself. As he told us, you know, he was you know, convincing coaches to even coach him, take him on mm-hmm. um, and coach him. And, you know, is only really three years into the sport is just getting started and already has three medals, three gold medals actually in a silver under his belt. And he was, you know this is, you know, we like to bullshit sometimes in this pod. This is, this is a really like inspirational conversation, obviously got into the music and stuff as well, but just a really inspiring dude. And we hope, you know, you agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. And as always for all the best of this
0: interview and every interview we do here on rotation, you can find the best of it on Instagram at rotation pod and on Twitter at pod underscore rotation. And with that, let's get to Nick.
1: We're here with Nick Mayhew, Paralympic sprinter, soccer player, gold medalist three times. Nick, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? Good, good. We know you're uh, you're gearing up for Paris 2024. How's that uh, How's that prep all going?
2: It's going really well. Uh, I recently just moved out to San Diego, California from Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was training for Tokyo. Uh, moved out here to the, the Olympic Training Center, um, you know. Just needed to change the environment. Uh, you know, I have a different task now, you know, defending my gold medals. You know, um, you know I've, I'm yet to be a world champion, and that's in a, in a few months. So, you know, I have, a, I have a whole bunch of other things I need to do that I've never done before, and uh, I'm just looking forward to
1: it. Yeah, how are you finding uh, California? It must be a big, big change from uh, North Carolina.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's a lot of changes in ways that I didn't think it was going to be a change. Like the people are, are the biggest change. You know, I'm, I'm used to warm weather. I'm used to, um, you know, tra- these training environments. I trained a lot down in Florida leading up to Tokyo. So, the warm weather and everything is good, but the people here are just a lot different. It's just the way people drive too. Like it starts to sprinkle and
0: someone just got their hazards on. So well, I'm just gonna go ahead and say right now I am a Californian, but listen, I, we, we've got our we've got our deficiencies. I get it. I get it.
1: Uh, <laughs> it's a little yeah. bit of an
0: attitude. There's a little bit of yeah. There's certainly some some confidence on the road is what we'll call it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Nick, you know, just just scrolling through your Instagram a little bit, you know, I see you flicking up with Luke Combs you know, kind of video montages, uh, where you got Kendrick playing, um, little, you know, baby. little baby, like as far as you kind of getting into your zone running wise, what's your pregame routine, you know, just kind of walk us through how you're getting, how you're getting motivated for a race.
2: Uh, to be honest, it varies. It varies on the location, varies on what I got going on in my personal life, uh, you know, my mood. Um, but what I can tell you is, you know, the warmer, the weather, <clears throat> the more lackadaisical the, mu- the the music becomes, so that's where like the Luke Combs, Morgan Wallen, all the country music will come out. You know, I'll be listening to that as I'm prepping for cold uh, for warm weather. Excuse me, but um, you know, leading up to Tokyo, Lil Baby was probably like um, oh, my number one go-to. I remember uh, Hats Off by, by Lil Baby was like my number one played song while I was in Tokyo. It was just like when I, I remember being on the on the warm up track, and like as soon as I was like I would see my competitors see them warming up and I just like put that song on get into my put my headphones on and start warming up and I was like alright like nice. it's over for them
0: mm-hmm. so when when you're in an arena and you're you're about to get going in a race you're warming up you're getting loose before the race have you noticed a difference in the kind of like pre-race music that arenas are playing do you have a preference of what they're blaring over the speakers or you're just kind of in your own zone
2: oh no as soon as I don't, I don't I can't even hear my own thoughts when I like when I get in that mode I black out like it's just you know I have I have my own music in my head. I have my own mindset going on. Everything's just internal. I, I'm, that's something I'm very, I'm very proud of. And, and something I can say that I do very, very well is I'm able to, when I need to switch it on, I switch it on. And so, um, you know, as soon as I step out on the track, as soon as I walk into the arena, you know, like there, there are very few moments from Tokyo that I actually remembered being in the arena. Wow. Because as soon as I would get under there, like under, under the stadium, we'd be in the call room. We'd put on our spikes. People are talking We're getting instructions and I'm shaking my head, but I'm not listening to anybody. I can't, I can't comprehend what anybody's saying. I'm just so focused and walking out and, you know, hearing everything. Obviously in Tokyo, there wasn't uh, you know, an audience or an environment like there will be hopefully in Paris, but you know, I'm, I'm just locked in, in my head, just tunnel
0: vision. I got one more running question for you. Just, I've always wanted to ask this to a sprinter, do you ever just go on long runs, or you just are you just banging out you know forty yards, where, wherever you are? And if you do go on long runs, you do you have like your, your running playlist? You can like, already tell absolutely There's no, <laughs> you absolutely not.
2: Know, that's the funny thing. Like people were like, "Yo, what's your mile time?" I'm like, "Dude, I I don't run anything over four hundred meters, and that's it." No, 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 I mean, that's the thing, and that's what's funny. Like growing up, um, you know, being a soccer athlete, growing up, you know, I love running, and I still do, but. You know, given my career now and what I do, I'm a sprinter, so I very rarely will go out on a run, but, um, you know, growing up, I used to always go on runs on the beach, so if I'm by a beach and, you know, it's early morning, you know, late night, uh, around sunrise, sunset, get up and go, it's just, it calms me down, it's what I'm used to, but other than that, if it's taking me away from training, I, you will not see me on the road, nothing, absolutely not.
1: Yeah. It's it's funny you mentioned kind of switching the the music vibe based on where you are because I feel like, Mason, most of the people we've talked to are like very specifically like, I need to chill out before or I need to go like crazy. M- Mason's friend Nick was on. He was talking about like, yeah, I need to just like bump future, just like get crazy. I, I find it interesting that you're sort of like, yeah, if I'm like on the beach, I'm like maybe a little more lax. If I'm, you know, if I'm in a, for a race, maybe it's a little baby then. Like, how did you kind of? I don't know. Was there like a trial and error almost of like sort of learning what, what you like in that regard?
2: Yeah. I mean, I use music as sort of an escape, you know, I can just put on my headphones and, you know, just kind of get into my own world and my own mindset of what I need to do. So depending on what the task is, cause you know, there's some, there's some track meets that you go to and you don't necessarily, the goal isn't to win, you know, you're going there as, as using it as training. So, you know, track season is a long season. You know, I just started, uh you know last month so what March and you know, I'll probably, I'm gonna be running through September so I'm not expected to win every race I'm not gonna try to win every race you know there's certain things that I try to tailor it to and and you know music is I use it sort of a tool to get me in that mindset of like okay because you know if I'm listening to some hard stuff little baby or future or something I'm going out there trying to be a, trying to be a killer on this like I'm trying to win the race it's going to be a different vibe than if i'm trying to just get out well and then you know coast through the rest of the race so if i i don't need to be that dog angry you know the pit bull type i'm gonna kill it I'm that killer type um every time uh so i kind of just i kind of like to kick it back and you know there's always like those moments where like give me a billy eilish that like slow vibe oh, that's that's what i main. that's what i mainly listen to off the track like yeah. Every time I get my Spotify rap, like it's like Billie Eilish is like up there at the top, like that sad boy type vibe. I respect. But that's just, I just love it. I just that's what I vibe to.
0: I think you know we've both been known to be sad boys at some point or another in our careers. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Um, you just said something though that was pretty striking to me. Like going into races that you know you're not going to win. I mean, what is that for for someone who's mostly ignorant to the track and field world? Like, what is that like that you just know that this is just a practice run and you're, you know, maybe you get your ass whooped that day.
2: I mean, it's very being a disabled athlete in a fairly more able-bodied sport. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot of opportunity to compete against other Paralympic athletes, especially Paralympic athletes who have my same disability. Um, very often it's very selective in terms of whether it's like a Grand Prix or, you know, the Paralympic Games or World Championships or Pan American Games. There's very few international competitions that I really get to compete against these guys um, that I am competing against at at the Olympics or the Paralympics. And a majority of the time I'm running against, you know, Division One athletes or other pros or, you know, guys that have been doing this their entire life. So, you know, and although I'm very competitive and I'm never okay with losing, you know, especially coming from soccer, you know, you're you're expected to be at your peak the entire season. You know, you have to be your best every game. Um, but in track, you're trying to trying to tailor your season to peak at the right time. And that's something I've very humbly had to learn. And, you know, I, I remember my first race, I like got I was walking out the track, you know, like, um, I got this, I'm gonna go out there. It was at High Point University down in North Carolina and I was racing against all these all these other college kids and I walked up and got smoked. And I was like, I was like damn i was looking at i was looking at like where i placed and i came in like third or fourth and i was like damn but then i looked at the time and i was like wait that wasn't that bad i was like all right cool that's way better than i thought i was gonna run and my coach was like yo why are you upset you ran way better than i thought you would i was like because i lost and he was like dude these kids have been running track for 17 years like <laughs> you you've been running it for like six months bro like come on like it's all good. So, and that's sort of now the further I've gone, it, it's weird to say that I'm only, you know, in year, I guess, two or three, mm-hmm. I guess year three now. And, and, you know, I was just competed down at Mount Sac and there's, you know, pros there that I, I step up to the line and I'm like, all right, I might not win, but I, I'm, it's me versus me. Cause when I get to these big stages, I just know that no no other guy that I'm going to line up against can, can even touch me. So it's just a mindset type thing and, and training and something that I've had to really learn. Cause I'm my own biggest critic and not my own competition. And it's just, it's a battle within myself.
0: You know, you talked at the beginning of that answer a little bit with, with your experience, you know, with disability and cerebral palsy. And I i, I want to just ask you a little bit about what that journey has been like for you. D- you know, do you view it as a disability? What, wh- How do you, you know, how do you sort of contextualize that in your life and in your life as an athlete? How does it play a role? Um, uh,
2: yeah, I mean, it's always played. You know, a big role in in my everyday life and everything that I do. You know, like I always say, like you know, I I could always tell that there was something, I guess, wrong or you know, different about my left side than there was my right. And you know, I was just such a hyperactive, athletic kid growing up that there was not. It was never like my parents didn't, you know, believe me or they didn't, you know, not that they didn't understand, but I just I I just did things so well that they were they didn't see enough to be like, okay, it's hindering his life this much. Let's take him to the doctors because his life has become so negative because of this thing he's complaining about. You know, I just complained about something and then figured it out and made it work and, you know, moved on. Um, But there were little things, you know, like I I failed the recorder in elementary school because I couldn't feel the holes in the little plastic flute type recorder thing. Um, You know, I I, I failed computer class because I can't type on a a keyboard correctly because I can't feel the keys on my left fingers. Um, I remember my grandfather, he he played jazz the majority of his life and he tried to teach me the piano and I'll never forget. He just got fed up and was like, you know, get out. Like he, I couldn't play the piano guy. He, he was getting so frustrated trying to teach me cause he grew up on it. It's something he really wanted to instill in me. And I was like, grandpa, like, I can't feel it. I don't know why. I'm sorry. He was like, get out. he's like, enough, enough. But there's things like that, you know, and and it's, even now, you know, being an adult, you know, being diagnosed at 14, being told I would never play soccer again, having my whole life flipped upside down and just knowing that the shoe was wrong, like my neurologist at the time. And, you know, just kind of just putting my head down, keeping it a secret for as long as I could. And, you know, doing what I knew I was going to do. And that was to be the best athlete that I could be. And, you know, I'm still on that journey. And I I fight that every day. You know, when I get out of bed, you guys probably don't think about, you know, walking to the bathroom or getting a glass of water, starting your day. But as soon as I get out of bed, the first thing I think about is that first step I take so I don't fall getting out of bed, walking to the bathroom so I don't trip on my on my left foot. You know, I have to I have to think about the 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 steps that I take to get to those things. So I'm always thinking about it, it's always on the top of my mind, but it's just become, you know, very natural and normal for me because it is my norm. It's what I've lived with my entire life. So but I've never I've never seen it as something that defines me. I've never seen it as something that like hinders me or anything nor sort of negative in a way. Like, absolutely. It's on my mind all the time. And I always think about, you know, like what would life be like if, you know, I didn't have this disability or, you know, I've had moments where I'm like, why me, why me? But there's nothing I can do to change it. And, you know, as long as the only real disability in life is a bad attitude and I've never let my attitude waver Based on my disability, I'll never let my disability define me. I'm much greater than that, and I was put on this earth to do way, way more than that. And that's sort of my mindset and my attitude my entire life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's the perspective that an Olympic Olympic champion would have to take uh, to, to to take the path that you have.
1: Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Um, just to touch back on something you mentioned, I think t- two answers ago, you were you were talking about. You know, when when Jake asked you about running races that you knew you were going to lose, and you were saying, "Well, you know, it, it makes sense. So occasionally, like you're a dis- you know you're a disabled athlete, and you're r- running against these different people." I don't think most people know that that just because you're in the Paralympics doesn't mean that you're not competing against and with com- you know non Paralympians like like everyday runners. Um, what do you use that as motivation, as fuel? I would Im- I mean, I would, you know I would imagine that's that's sort of a, a motivator in a way.
2: Hell yeah, it's it's awesome because to the untrained naked eye, I don't look disabled. If you didn't know what you were looking for, because I've been living with it my entire life, because I've seen doctors and physical therapists and I've trained myself and worked with coaches and my brother and strength coaches, you know, worked with a number of people in my life to basically make it look as normal as possible, Um, you know a lot of people can't see it. So when I walk out onto a track, unless you follow me on social media, unless you know my story, a lot of these college kids that I go up against and a lot of these pros I go up against don't know yeah. who I am or, you know, that I have a disability. So I'll just walk up and, you know, I walk up and I got my own swag with it, the headband, my tattoos, you know, I have my own track swag on, on what I've built for myself. But, you know, people come up, see all this and they're like, "Dang, all right, like this dude look corny or whatever he's got. And I'll have people come up to me and be like, yo, like you, you got all the trick, like you, you got you got a last of swag, like, I, I, I like what you got on, I'm like, thank you, man, and they're like, yo, like, who do you run for, I'm like, Team USA, and they're like, what, and then they don't really understand, I don't really have time to explain it all, you know, and they're like, all right, cool, like, line up, and, you know, there's some pros and stuff that I'll go out, and I'll just be, and a majority of the time, like, very early on, um, when I started racing, um, a lot of people had, like, doubts, you know, and they were like, yo, but you're super skinny, or, like, there's some people come up and be like, oh, you run, you run track, but you're white, you're a sprinter, but, like, you're white and I'm like and it's just little things like that 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 people will say to me and whatever and then I'll go out there I'm like all right cool line up and then I'll beat them and then like you know walking back they just like got me up there like all right cool like I respect it I'm like all right cool and so it's just little things that I've experienced along my journey um you know and it's funny to see people's reactions to when I get on the line and they bust out and they're like oh they try because you know as soon as as soon as I get up on the line like we're equal like it doesn't matter what I'm what I'm facing what I'm facing I will never let somebody's mindset beat mine i will never let you beat me and whether that's mentally or physically like you can be faster than me cool but track is more so a mental game than it is physical and if obviously if i line up with Usain saying boy i'm gonna lose 10 times out of 10 but if i line up with somebody that thinks he's gonna beat me and think that he's faster than me and we're right there on the same mentally i'm, I'm miles ahead of him i'm gonna beat him 10 times 10 times out of 10 and that's just the way that i that i go into every single race even though there are guys that are going to be faster than me because they're just you know they're better than me. They're faster. They don't got things they got to overcome, and it is what it is. But I understand that, and it's just fun to kind of see people's reactions and like meet me, talk to me, and be like, "All right, cool. Like we didn't know that. Cool, respect."
1: Yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, Usain Bolt, I I know you got a bit of a a shout out message from him. Um, I think was it, it was after the Olympics.
2: It, I was still in Tokyo.
1: Okay, so it was just after you won a gold medal, or. Two or three, I don't know. At what point it was, you you won a lot there, but uh, yeah. What what was that like? Tell us tell us about how that came about.
2: That was by far. I've never been so starstruck, and I've never shaked that much in my life. Like I remember, because after I won the I won the run, the I won the one hundred. Remember telling um, Lewis Johnson, who was the NBC reporter at the time, uh, in Tokyo, and I told him, you know, in the prelim, I ran out, broke the world record, and I ran it pretty hard. But I knew that I was talking to my coach before and I knew that, you know, I didn't want to run 100 percent because I wanted to break the world record again. And at that time, at that time, I wasn't very knowledgeable in the world record payouts. So like under under my impression, they were like, "Yo, every time you break a world record, you get paid. And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm going to go out in the prelim, break the world record and then, you know, go out in the final, break the world record and get paid twice. And so I like walked up, you know, went out, did what I did, run, won the prelim. Uh, broke the world record and then I came, I was talking to Lewis Johnson. He was like, yo, you didn't have to you didn't have to run that or you got a final, you know, later tonight. And I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna run faster. And I remember I was walking out and he was doing an interview and I was like, and you can hear me in the background. I'm like, yo, Lewis. And I turned so I'm like, you better turn around and watch this. I'm about to break the world record. And and just that sort of confidence and that teetering that line of cockiness and confidence. I was I was very confident in what I, in the preparation that I did and everything that I, you know, did to get to that point. I knew what I was going to do and went out and did it broke the world record again and talking to him he was he off camera he was like you know it reminds me a lot of like usain's confidence and i was like man i really appreciate that thank you because i grew up you know watching him obviously but when i really started this track journey i would just you know sit on sit on the bench at the track and just look up usain bolt block start usain bolt stride usain bolt this and just watch videos of him day after day after day and um just and more so paid attention to what he did off the track you know his mannerisms and how, that whole sort of track culture and tried to learn as much as i could from it and just made it my own and then my last medal that i won was the 200 and that's uh, after i broke the world record in that one goal and i hit his lightning bolt pose oh, yeah. in front of everybody did that and uh was looking at lewis and he was laughing and i walked over and off camera he was like you know i'm i i know Usain personally and I, he was like you want to send him a message and i was like yo don't mess with me and he's like no I'm serious and so we took like a we took a video and sent it to him and he's like yeah if he responds like I'll let you know and then so a few hours later I got back to my room and in in the Olympic Village I was the last one to leave because I I had ran four events and I was the only one we we have like three four different rooms there was like eight people living in and I was the last one so I had the whole place myself it was crickets I was just kind of taking everything in you know we're 13 16 hours ahead of everybody so I couldn't talk to anyone anyway and I was just kind of like, just laying on my bed, like, damn, you know, just taking it all in, like, wow, I did it, you know, like this is this is pretty cool. And all of a sudden, my phone rings, and I have like personalized phone call or uh, rings for like my family and like people I love and care about. Yeah. And it was like a random one. It was it was like a it was a random one, and I looked at it. And it was a random number, and I looked at. it, and I was like, I swear, if I open this <laughs> and it's Usain Bolt, I'm gonna lose my mind. And sure enough, I unlocked my phone and it was just, all I always remember seeing his face. There was a video and all I remember seeing his face and I chucked my phone. I was like, through it. I was like, I don't even want to open it. I don't even want to look at it. I was freaking out. And I was like shaking, sitting on the edge of my bed, like, oh my goodness. And I remember watching it and he was just cool. He said, congrats. You know, he said he it was uh, really admired by the way that, you know, I ran and what I did and the tribute that I gave to him. and. I was like sitting there. I was like, dang, oh, you saying watch me, He knows who I am. This is crazy. But yeah, that was, that was an unforgettable moment, man. I'll never forget that. And it's cool. Cause there was nobody else to see it. And it was just me. Like it was sort of like an outer body experience. And I was just watching myself watch the video. It was I, 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 so cool, man. It was, that was, that was cool.
1: You must've been very impatiently waiting for all your friends and family to wake up so that you could have shared that with them.
2: Yeah, I mean, they they, stood, they stayed up as long as they could, but there was a certain point after every race even um, that I was like, all right, guys, you know, I love you. You know, I, I'll talk to you in a little bit. I need to kind of decompress and just, you know, yeah, uh, come down from this crazy, crazy high. And, you know, I would just go back in my room and just turn off my phone and take a, sh- take a long shower and just kind of sit on my bed and just relax and just kind of take everything in. I wouldn't look on, uh, I, I couldn't look at social media. couldn't really do nothing. And I was just kind of like laying there just looking at my medals and you know, laying in bed and just had have my medals there. And it's like, damn, I did it. And it was, it was a cool, it was a cool moment. And so when everyone finally woke up again, it was like time to be social, time to be in that professional media type mindset. And you got to do what you got to do. But it, it's good to have that, you know, a little bit of time to myself.
1: You said in, uh, you, you did a commencement speech at Radford, um, and you said there that to you know when you were transitioning between soccer um, and sprinting, that you basically gave up any means of a social life for for two years. How how hard was that?
2: Uh, it was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. Um, the hardest part was my family. Um, you know, just not especially with everything going through COVID. Um, a majority of my family is up in Northern Virginia, where I was born and raised. And, you know, people, you know, their birthdays, you know, uh, my cousins, uh, kids being born, not being able to really go see them. not And not that I couldn't, but, you know, not being able to take time away from my training and everything to really make that six and six and a half, seven hour drive up there, spend time with them, take away from training. And then everything with COVID, they were worried and I didn't want to put that, any more stress onto them. Um, and just little things like that, you know, just, just life moments that I feel like I missed out on that in my head, I justified it because I knew that it was for a greater good. I knew that they knew that I love them and, you know, all that, all that stuff, but all the other stuff was, was super, was super easy, you know, not drinking, not going out, not, you know, not hanging out with my friends. Uh, you know, I, I really showed me who truly was there for me and what I wanted to do. Uh, in my life, and my career, you know, the people that stuck with me are are still to this day. We're a tight knit, you know, my group and my circle got really, really small. And true. some people true color showed. Um, and I'm very blessed to have the people around me. Uh, I love them. And, you know, whether it be, you know, my friends, my family or even, you know, relationships that with girls that I had, you know, just seeing how they handled it and, you know, and just see what worked, what didn't. You know, true color show and it's been a journey and I'm on another one right now. And, you know, I've, I've forfeited a lot of stuff and, you know, I have a, I have a goal I need to do and, you know, things that need to be done and nothing's going to stop me from, you know, standing on that podium, even this year at worlds, you know, with three gold medals around my neck. And if you're not going to help me or be any sort of positive light in my life to help me get there, yeah. you know, listening to our national anthem, then you have no place in my life and I'm not going to miss you one bit.
0: I just, Kind of to to look at that journey from soccer to track, you go from like a full on as team sport as team sport gets to an individual sport. So we're going to bring it back to music. Is there a because what we usually do is we'll ask athletes, what's the locker room vibe after a win, after a loss pregame? But it's just you, or I guess maybe your team, your team of people. Um, If there is a locker room vibe after a race, what are you playing? What do you like? What do you like to listen to? Are you celebrating? It's just you, you and solace, dreams and nightmares. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's it. That's it. Dreams and nightmares. That's my favorite. That's my favorite hype of mm-hmm. like anytime I hear that I'm in a good mood. I think about me and uh you know, uh a few of my best friends and we whenever anytime we hear that, like there's been a couple times um over the last couple of summers we always take a trip once a year and into Miami and we'll go out and anytime that play that song, it's just like you know what it is and it's just it just gets me so hyped, so happy and I remember uh it it was so because like it's very awkward going back uh to the village after you win because you're going back with your competitors back to the village and like yeah. you're all on the same you're all on the same bus and like some of them would go out of their way to like wait in line and get a different bus yeah. and it was super super weird but like a majority of the time like they didn't there were a lot of athletes that like you know didn't really care or like they didn't have a choice so they'd put me on the, they'd put me on the bus and I would be like the last one because I have to do all this media and I'd walk on and I'd see you know who came in last, who came in sixth, who came, who got bronze, you know, who got silver and just walking past them with my gold medal hanging. And it it was kind of awkward, but I was just walking tall, like, you know, just like, Hey, it's it's more respect than anything else. But being back there, like knowing that my music was just blaring. And then i like, there's, I remember there was one time that my my headphones died and I took it, but I took my headphone out and it was just silence, silence. And like, I like look up and everybody's just like, looking out the window, like, (laughs) kind of sad. And I'm sitting there like, hold on, wait a minute. I was like, freaking out like having a good time and it's just so much fun but yeah dreams and nightmares is definitely my go-to that's the vibe after after any race i win after any medal dreams and nightmares that's we going we going off
1: i mean as a i'm a new york giants fan but even when i see the eagles play that it's hard not to get a little bit of feel something you know
2: hey bro i was born and raised a, a diehard redskins fan so i'm right there with you i, yeah. I don't want to be i don't want to be playing that song. i want to be a fan of that can't deny. especially when they're eagles but you can't deny it and it's such a good song
1: so just going back to your your soccer past a little bit, um, I grew up playing soccer as well, not not as well as you clearly. If you got a if you got a D one scholarship, but um, you know, just kind of a two parter. First of all, you know how hard was that transition from playing just in a, in a sporting sense, um, going from soccer to sprinting, uh, and secondly, you know. It seems like uh, you know, you, you got a tight relationship with some of the guys in the national team, Christian Polisic, Weston McKinney. How did that kind of come about?
2: Uh, yeah, we I mean, it was the most humbling experience, first of all. Um, you know, I'll never forget the first time I was in the blocks um, for a track. You know, like my coach threw down the blocks on the on the track and he's like, All right, you know, learn these. I had no idea how to set them up. I had no idea what I was looking at. And I remember I got in them for the first time. And I'd never, for the first time in my life, i had never felt so unathletic, uncomfortable, and just awkward. Yeah. And, and my coach looked at me and he was like, you ain't worth my time. And, you know, <laughs> for the first, for the first like four to five months, my coach wouldn't work with me because I was so bad at it. And he was like, he was like, yeah, like this YouTube block starts, YouTube Usain Bolt block starts. And that's what I was doing. And he finally looked up one day and he was like, we can work with that. And it was just one one of those days that I finally, you know, made a. He made a decision. He was like, all right, cool. It's time to get to work. And it was the most humbling experience. You know, I had to completely relearn how to run. I had to completely forget how to run in a 360 sort of axis and just learn how to run in a straight line. And the mechanics are completely different. It's very robotic, very um, strict and relaxed. And, you know, you don't have to keep your head on a swivel. You don't have you have to, you don't have to have your hips open like you do when you receive a soccer ball in any direction. It's, it's very different. And yeah. it was the hardest thing to learn and very humbling, but, you know, I'm lucky enough to have guys, you know, like, like those two, you know, Wes and and Christian to, you know, lean on when, whenever I needed them. And, and, you know, that, those are, those are two cool relationships that I've had just because we see a lot of things eye to eye in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And, you know, seeing those two guys being at two of the best, you know, in the world at, at, at what they do, you know, I was chasing that. And I, I also wanted to be that. So I definitely lean on them a little bit in terms of mentality. Um, but, yeah, I grew up playing against Christian. Uh, he played on PA PA Classics before he obviously went to Germany. Uh, me playing – going through and playing with the D.C. United Academy going up uh, and, like, ODP and stuff, I'd always played against him. And we always – Um, you know, would watch each other play or do something. I remember watching him play and do stuff, but Wes, you know, spent a little bit of time out of Maryland and then obviously I would watch him play down in Texas. We'd go to uh, the academy tournaments and stuff, watching him play. Um, And then we, as soon as we hit the national stage, we kind of just mingled here and there. And then, you know, we, it was really in quarantine where things kind of like took off, and we would just like hop on the game and play Fortnite or Call of Duty for hours, hours, hours on end. And that was a, that was our group. That's, so that's, yeah, man. Cool. So it was bonded by video games, but our our love our love of football is what started it off. So you know those guys in are...
1: Hold on. What was what was it like playing against the young Christian Pulisic Because not not a lot of people saw that up close. I know he was a tiny kid for a, a lot of his childhood, but yeah cheat code bro like it's literally like
2: <laughs> you remember you ever played madden 04 and use mike vick yep yep
1: Untap <laughs> that him. was
2: him that was him bro like you just it just he just got the ball and did what he did and it was it was really really fun to watch but you know at the time you just could tell something was special and it's just an absolute cheat code man it's just crazy
0: beautiful well, thank you. That's, I mean, those are the most of our questions. The last thing we want to do is just ask if you have anything that you want to plug, any merch, anything like that, that you're looking to, to get any, off before we... Any
1: messages before Paris?
2: Uh, nah, man. I mean, you can, if you want, y'all can go buy my merch, Uh, uh Follow me on my socials, at Nick Mayhew on everything. Wow, and um, any message that I were to send, is just, you know, try to stay positive. Know that it's okay to not be okay. You know, nobody's perfect. Everyone goes through stuff and uh, to talk about it. I encourage you to go to therapy. I encourage y'all to get help if you need it. Nobody's perfect. And, uh, and the strongest people in this world are some of the most vulnerable. So, uh, you know, get help if you need it. Don't be afraid uh, to ask for help. And, you know, text your mom and your dad right now and tell them you love them while you came. That's the biggest thing.
1: There you go. That's a good plug. Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. We really appreciate it. Best of luck next summer. We'll be watching out for you. And uh yeah, thanks again.
0: No problem. Appreciate you guys.
1: Well, there you have it. Jake, what'd you think? Really love that conversation with Nick. Such an inspiring guy. Such a, you know, such an inspiring and interesting perspective on life and i think it's something we can all learn a lot from yeah champion on the track and a
0: champion in life no doubt about it uh that'll do it for today don't forget to follow us on socials at instagram at rotation pod and on twitter at pod underscore rotation as Mm -hmm. always thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time